0: Welcome to the Circular Innovation Podcast. Join us as we dive deep and explore the concept of circular innovation and how it's reshaping brands, technology, and operations.
1: Welcome to the show. You're listening to another episode of Circular Innovation. I'm your co-host, Richard Bliss, being joined by my other co-hosts.
0: Beth Schistler, uh, co-founder and CEO of Maven Circular.
2: And Nate Schistler, co-founder and chief Maven at Maven Circular.
1: Well, this
0: is good because this time we're going to have a
1: conversation. We've had a great opportunity of a conversation uh, over our last several episodes. This time we're going to talk about a little bit about the ecosystem. We're going to talk about one vendor, one company can't do it all, and you guys are even in a position to do it all. Are you?
2: Yeah, yeah that, that's right, Richard. I mean, we, it, you know, thinking about that kind of old expression, it takes a village. Um, it it really does take a network of vendors. And and Jess, I know this is an area where you focus a lot on our business is like building those relationships and that that ecosystem, as Richard called it, of vendors? And maybe you could share a bit about the work you do there.
0: Yeah, basically a lot of it is is a bit of matchmaker. So um, typically you would have three pillars. You have a brand, you have operators. So think about um, a third-party warehouse or um, a logistics company. And then the, the third piece is the technology companies that enable the storefront and the back end as well um, on the actual purchase. So, you know, we spend a lot of time kind of toggling between those three fundamental components in e commerce and And today, it's really important to understand within each of those pillars, there's a variety of different vendors to work with. So there might be four different operators and there's you know, four different technology companies and there's a hint like so many different brands and um, an area that I focus a lot on is really diving into what are the requirements, what's the nice to haves and then we walk through each of those areas to say these are the pros and cons of what your requirements are for these different pillars and a lot of that is matchmaking and a lot of it is cold calling um, with brands to help, you know, grow re commerce in general. Um, so, Nate, I know that you know you spend a bit of time working closely on the technology side. Um, I'm curious how you how you really see that part of the ecosystem being unlocked and and really building out the whole
2: yeah 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 program. The, There's an interesting um, kind of dichotomy here where the, the reverse logistics space. In general, we're talking from, you know, returns and returns management all the way through to second sale or third sale or resale of a product, all dependent on very manual processes. So on the one extreme, you have this reality that reverse logistics is pretty hyper manual. And then what makes that more complicated for a brand is that enterprise technology solutions aren't yet equipped. To really handle the reality of what some people refer to as single skew logistics, um, or just generally speaking, like all the manual processes involved in in processing a return and and evaluating the condition of that return, then merchandising that that used item in a way that's meaningful to a customer, and so that you know there's a burgeoning technology sector that's being developed that supports this space. They're all startups. There are no Uh, there's no clear leader in who is providing the best solution right now Um, and it really comes down to like finding that or creating that like bespoke solution that services the brand in the most profitable way possible I
1: I, I like what you're saying so I have a question about this because it sounds like Jess as you walk into a a brand and -hmm. they have brought you in and invited you in and you talk about this matchmaker it sounds like what you're saying is that you are listening to the challenge they have maybe they have surplus stock left over from previous seasons, right? Maybe they have, right, uh, ding and dents or returns or whatever it might be. You're then listening to this. And then if I understand, you're now figuring out, okay, as Nate just pointed out, we've got all these vendors, which ones are going to be the best match to solve this particular brand's challenge, right? That's right. Go ahead.
0: Yeah, and that that's like, you know, a lot of it is, identifying that requirement and sharing out all of the vendors, but kind of what that um, you know, who the best fit might be. But it's also after that, whiteboarding and really pulling out what the long term ideas and goals are, because on day one, and I think we chatted about this in a previous in a previous episode, but a lot of if you're either re relaunching a program or you're a new brand launching the first time a re-commerce program. It's really important that when you're doing those vendor selections you're you're not just looking at today you're thinking about where that sales channel where you want it to actually go and and the reason I'm saying that is because some vendors just on their spectrum of what their vision map is may never accomplish what you're trying to launch so today you might be saying if I'm a brand you might be saying you know I want to go live with 20,000 units i want to be in the us and you know we would say you know we would dive into what does that mean and what does the product look like and what do you potentially see is there refurbishment is there cleaning is there dry cleaning folding pressing all of these different vast um like value added services that we need to consider when we're looking at who is the potentially the best operator that already has that or if it's on their vision map but from there you know they might be working on their mainstream to go international or they might already be international so understanding if that is on their roadmap for re-commerce then that will you know shrink who your um, potential vendors are going to be and you know that's one example Um, but but really it's it's being involved with them in their total journey so that we can support them the best way possible. So we're not, you know, there's always going to be the client that sits there and says, Hey, I went live four years ago and it's not working for us now with this vendor. And, you know, I need to find a different vendor. And that's the reality, you know, that, that happens in business and, and we support those clients. But, um, you know the landscape has really changed the ecosystem has really changed and an area that we haven't talked much about is um you know these are all startups so there's investors um and Nate, maybe you can speak a little bit about what that what that means and and how we support that but they're really important when we think about the entire ecosystem of you know building a self, a, a circular um, innovative, Environment for all of these um, different vendors to to actually go live with new brands and and new technology and expanding operations.
1: Because yeah, I mean, cookie, it's not cookie cutter, right? It's not just like no. oh, we'll just drop it in and cookie cutter. Nate, that's where you it's, step in.
2: Yeah, it, it's definitely not cookie cutter. And uh, just to touch on Jess' your point about investors, you know, one of the questions that we field a lot is how well capitalized is vendor x when we're proposing a vendor to a brand because they want to understand recognizing that this is still very much a startup space they want to understand how well capitalized the vendor is who are the main players on you know their their primary investors because that frankly has that says something about that vendor and their ability to really be with that brand for the long haul but the um you know you said something a minute ago it's it kind of like brings up a core value of our business, like being on the journey with our clients. Um, when we think about like our approach as consultants, um, you know, I think a lot of times there's like a stereotype when you hear the word consultant and the stereotype goes something like this. You bring the consultant in. They write. They listen really well. They write down all of your requirements, and then they go away and they try and deliver a solution that that meets all of your requirements. And that kind of checks the boxes, like being really good, active listeners to make sure that you capture all the requirements. But our approach, like yes, obviously very actively engaged in the listening process, but also we want to be on that journey with our clients. And the most successful programs. That we see in our experience are the ones where there's give and take from both sides, and we're we are enabled to say to that, you know, we basically have to be given permission to say to that client, "I hear you, but we actually think you should consider, you know, Y instead of X, whatever that scenario may be." And and a lot of times, especially when we're working with a brand, the brand is maybe. They've derived this list of requirements kind of in a silo, not really understanding the implications of those requirements. These are things that they think they want, um, but maybe they don't actually want them. Or maybe there are things that they want out of their program that they're not thinking about. And so, you know, our approach as consultants is, is really to go beyond that active listening to say, got it. We, we understand your brand and your product and what you're trying to do. And based on our experience, we would actually recommend, you know, a bit of a course correction here and let's explore why we think that's the right solution. And maybe it doesn't go that way, but oftentimes like that, that kind of pushback that they get from us and the experience that, that we bring to that conversation results in a solution that is often better than what maybe would have otherwise been developed just based on just writing down the requirements.
1: Oftentimes those requirements probably are coming from, I don't want to say a book, but are like, okay, we need uh, we need this, we need, right? There's not a whole lot of depth or understanding yeah. behind those requirements. They're just kind of, those are outcomes. Their requirements oftentimes are outcomes.
2: Yes. Not
1: necessarily. And, and there's, Go ahead.
2: Yeah. Just the, the number of complexities that can impact whether or not a requirement is really a viable one. I mean, just to give a really specific example, if you're an apparel brand or a Product brand that is taking advantage of Section three twenty one, where you're importing your goods into Canada and then selling them into the U S. duty free. That that can fundamentally shape the way that we would advise to design the logistical footprint of your e-commerce program. And if that's not being considered in the requirements coming from the brand, we're you know the first thing out of our mouth is going to be hold on you're doing section 321. Great. Let's talk about what your priorities are and what data you have available. And can you re-import goods or not? Um, you know, what are the options to keep them domestically versus sending them? There's, it's just a whole other line of question that often doesn't even come up in the requirements phase because to your point, Richard, those requirements are typically more outcome-based and, and we want to help flush out a lot more of the particulars so that we can provide that, you know, bespoke solution for a brand.
0: Okay. So, so really it, it comes down to like, it's like a, a three-party deal. Yep. You know, it's, yeah. it's the collaboration between those three. And, you know, we have positioned ourselves with the backgrounds that we have to help guide the conversation, to ensure that the brand is getting their biggest bang for their buck. You know, we're considering the financials, we're considering, you know, the logistical complexities of their current supply chain versus, you know, where they want to be going and um and and playing a bit of that matchmaker mm-hmm. and you know there's the element of, you know, the the vendors and their personalities and we can support with those conversations if if wanted or needed, but really it comes down to, you know, what what are how do we define what the requirements are and who is best matched to meet those requirements of the brand? Um, I, I can certainly see a challenge here because
1: the company's goal can be varied as we've identified, but the vendor's goals are pretty clear: make money. Yes, I right. Make, and that's not necessarily the goal of the client, right? The brand. And in so, some <laughs>
2: in some cases, it's not a not even a factor. It's it's. Yeah, they're happy if they can break even. They're
1: sometimes. happy, if, and so you're one of the challenges you're faced with here is, and I think you've identified it, Nate. Uh, the profitability of the ecosystem, the three-party yeah. deal has got to be profitable for at least two of those people. Yeah, that's the goal, right? <laughs> and so you've got to find a way to bring in the cost structure in such a way, and you're playing with all of that, aren't you? You're playing with understanding the 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 value dra- driven from the operators and when you say operators i always think the warehouse people the people who are actually physically operating the things back and forth your yes. technology people just that you talked about who op- do, are they i'm interested i mean we don't have a whole lot of time but on the technology side is it off the shelf technology that you're buying and applying or are you asking them to do it in custom development or is it a combination of both
2: it, yeah it's um
0: well just, just i just yeah. jump in quick here it's we're not telling technology companies what to do, you know. They have a solution that they've either designed from the ground up, or they've they have a solution that they have customized and they continue to customize for a specific um, customer.
1: Okay, and so when you come in yeah. and provide the, this is why it's important in the beginning, as you set the goals and the the challenges that the brand is having, you take those to the technology vendor right yeah
2: it's um it's not off the shelf but it's also not fully customized so with all the vendors out there and inc- the ones we work with and even the ones we don't work with you know there's a there's a bit of a specialty like this is what xyz vendor is good at and then i would say eight out of ten times there's some additional customization required for the brand Sometimes it's very minor and sometimes it's just on the back end, you know, data engineering side. And sometimes it's a little more visible. Sometimes they want a custom functionality on their storefront or they want some type of custom, uh, like interface for their team to see and access data or maybe control over orders or something. There's always something that's a little bit custom. Uh, It's starting with like a, a foundation of like, what's our tech stack and what, what are we good at? And that's where we start the vendor selection process. But then the next level of that is like, are you going to be able to rise to the occasion to, to meet the needs of the brand
0: and you brought honestly really the oh sorry why i keep that's okay and why i keep um, sharing subtly in some of these episodes around expansion of of programs is because some technology companies it's not on their radar to have multi-language. so mm-hmm. when you think about you know the US is the place to be to sell product And, you know, some of these companies are Canadian. You know, you have some major apparel companies or technical companies that have e-commerce programs that their Canadian um, consumer can't actually participate in Mm -hmm. buying used product through the brand, even though the the brand is Canadian. Um, This is just one example. But, you know, the technology companies have to, you know, familiarize themselves with the Canadian legislations and the requirements around French versus English and what re-
2: system and
0: and all of yeah thanks Nate all of that um, and that's just one country so when you think about you want to expand into Europe that's you know a whole lot more complex than just Canada um, and and really when we get into those conversations then you know the the, the list becomes a short list of who your technology providers could be. Um, because of the complexity of just that one topic of, you know, language.
1: And that's what makes you guys the the experts. This has
0: been a fan- fantastic, uh, insightful
1: conversation of opening up the ideas and things that companies, brands, vendors need to be thinking about. I, I, I always enjoy this conversation. We're out of time. And so I wanted to say thank you for listening. For those of you who are listening, I'm Richard Bliss, uh, co-host. I've been joined by Nate and Jess, the co-founders of Maven Circular, and you've been listening to Circular Innovation Podcast. Man, I had trouble getting that one out. Thanks for listening. Take care.
0: Thanks. Thank you. Thanks for tuning in to the Circular Innovation Podcast. Join us again as we continue to explore and unravel the complexities of circular innovation.